I'm R.J. Bell with the sports betting headlines for Tuesday. Lakers with 80 points in the first half make a statement. Vegas responds, making L.A. the title favorites. L.A. versus Dallas. Clippers, that is, tonight. The backers of the Clippers have not lost faith. Favored by seven last game? They lost outright, but now favored by even more. Clippers by eight points over the Mavs. OKC climbs back into the series, now tied two games apiece. Vegas still loves the Rockets, giving them better than a 60% chance to advance. Here comes a full hour of the Vegas Truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. That's right. I'm R.J. live in Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. And live on a Wednesday. Oh, Tuesday it is. Fezzy, I saw you and I thought Wednesday, but let's be honest, you have to come in for your comeuppance. I tell you what's not live, RJ. What's not live is my Portland series bet against the Lakers. So for those that don't listen every day, Fez is on, and we should say this now quickly and not belabor the point because it's ending soon, a 12-bet win streak. Not just his private bets, not some private crap. No, in front of the world right here, straight out of Vegas, 12 straight winners. Now, what I noticed was Fez was sitting on his winners. He was making bets about, like, you know, would the Olympics be in Tokyo in, like, 2028? He made a few bets about global warming in, the like, 2050. Like, all, like, not just future bets, but future times 10 bets. It's like, hmm, I see a trend here. He's not betting anything that he could possibly lose. We didn't stand for that. So we forced him to make a bet on a series in the NBA with an underdog, because if I promise— any amount of money I would have bet. If you would have let him bet a series price, it would have been, hmm, Milwaukee minus 2,000 or whatever it was. 100 to make one. 100 to make, hey, 13 straight winners, baby. We don't, <laughs> we don't do it that way here. We do not do it that way here. He came with the Blazers. I don't know how much of this had to do with some strange thing with his wife where whenever Lillard does well, he screams Dame time. But... I, in hindsight, and let's face facts, and then we'll talk about how good the Lakers are. What was your analysis at the time that made you think the Blazers, what was the plus number? Plus 360. All right, so you figure plus 360. Hey, we know they're going to lose more times than not, but plus 360 is a good bet. Obviously, in hindsight, it wasn't. What did you see wrong? The perimeter shooting, the Lakers had been so bad in the bubble, and that's Portland's weakness. 
Portland does not cover perimeter shooting very well. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to listen to your story. I'm going to open them out and do real quick. All right, go ahead. So my expectation was that, or hope, was that the Lakers' struggles would continue for whatever reason not shooting well in Orlando, and Portland could just pack it into the paint with their seven-footers, and if the Lakers were unable to hit threes, that Portland could go ahead and control the Lakers mm. so on the, offense. So the evidence that the Lakers were struggling as an outside shooting team was really those bubble games. Yes. And the evidence that they were not that bad shooters were the other 52 or how many games were it? 62 I, games there was or whatever? Yeah, 62. Okay. So what made you think that the eight games was of questionable motivation were pertinent over the 60-plus? Because I didn't think the motivation really mattered that much when it came to just shooting. That's not effort. That's just, do you like the backdrop? Have you been working on your game and the like? So I thought that the eight games in the bubble did have some significance that they had struggled so much. And there was, and let's give you some credit here, there was the idea, you know, it's funny, our producer, Matt, is not a gambler, right? We purposely picked a non-gambler. He's got, like, we call him Hollywood Matt. He's got, you know, a lot of movie stuff in his background, TV shows, and he puts up on the board, isn't this called recency bias? <laughs> so you literally have a non-batter just making fun of you right now. What would you say to that? Recency uh, bias. I, I, it's amazing he got the term correct, too. Exactly. But you got it incorrect. Oh, my goodness. And, and last night, it was the worst because... Portland came in and packed the paint. They put Whiteside and Nurkic in, in, in the paint to stop the Lakers. First three three-pointers from the Lakers. Swish, swish, swish. It was 15-0 Lakers, and it was over. Actually, LeBron addressed some of your concerns. At, or, Yeah, he addressed them after the game. Comparatively speaking, you are like a grain of sand in the Sahara Desert. Yeah, and I am the entire desert. Well, it wasn't LeBron directly, but conceptually, you don't doubt LeBron. No, and I got to tell you, I watched the whole— Well, I tend to, just in the right spot. <laughs> I watched the whole first half, and I got my comeuppance, and that was a painful game to watch. So you actually—they scored 80. You actually waited until the 80th point before you gave up? <laughs> I, when it was 78 in the first, you were like still attentive with your popcorn? You, you know, it shows how you—sometimes you grasp hold of things and you refuse to give it up because no, I— I'm I, not that way, but I, I bet live, all right? And I'm willing to change my opinion. So by live, it's in-game, meaning that at any—so with NBA— can you bet live as the plays are going on, or is it stoppages, or how does at it work? At stoppages, at the timeouts. So there's odds, and what odds are up at a given stoppage? Let's say there's a stoppage, eight minutes left in the first quarter. What can you bet? Sides in total for the game. Right, and, and is that with a spread and money line? Yeah, the money line's up, although it got taken off for this game because it was so Oh, extreme. yeah, when, when, when one result can't happen, you can't have a money line. Lakers weren't going to lose at a certain point, right? Yes. Okay. What was the, what was the spread at halftime? Because what's surprising is... In the NFL especially, if a team's up 30 to nothing, the spread in the second half might be the underdog by three because the theory is the other team's not going to keep trying as hard. They're up 30 nothing. What was the spread at halftime? Portland was laying three and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. Co covered easily because of, <laughs> because of the a fourth quarter when Lillard, Lillard got hurt in the third quarter. So basically nobody played in the fourth quarter. We're having fun with it, and we are actually – you know, listen, when you win 12 in a row, it's kind of hard to blame someone when they lose a big underdog. But it was a bad loss. And I think that Hollywood Matt's making an interesting point. There was a recency consideration, meaning 
when a team literally isn't sure they should even go to the bubble, when Dame's saying, do we really even have, should we go? And then they get really hot, but you look at the scores, they're not really exceeding the expectations all that much. They're just having these exciting close wins. Fortunate which, wins, too. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like you go you bought in. And then thinking, oh, by the, if anything, this was the recency bias of all recency biases. You got one team, barely a playoff team, really not prior to the bubble. The other team, the best team in the West prior to the bubble. The best team in the West locks up the number one seed, and they coast. The other team wins a bunch of close games, giving up like 130 points. You're like, give me some of that to win four out of seven. Yeah, in retrospect, absolutely. And even the last game in the bubble before they played Memphis, a game Portland needed to win, they're playing Brooklyn. God-awful Brooklyn. And Levert, has to, he actually misses a game-winning shot that would have sent Portland home early. So I missed the clues. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas talking with Steve Fezzik. Jonas, a well-deserved day off. Okay. Vegas responds to this statement by making L.A. the title favorites. So right now, do you have the, the current odds in front of you? Yes. All right, so Lakers are what? Plus 285. So 100 wins you 285, a little better than 3-1. to one. The second favorite? Milwaukee, 3-1. to 3-1. to one. And the Clippers? 325. Okay. We're going to talk about the Clippers. And uh, they play, obviously, Dallas. I was shocked by the line. Line's gone up. It's pretty much said the zigzag is in effect. We'll talk about it. You also have a best bet coming up at 6.30 Eastern for that game. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Now the bets seem to be flowing. Now you have a loser. Well, I might be. That's interesting. It's not a loser yet. Uh, I could still go to 13 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I find it interesting what's happening in the bubble. Because I have a number of thoughts about why bubble scoring is way up. And I heard this stat on the Zach Lowe podcast. It's an amazing one. Dallas Mavericks had the best efficiency of any team this entire year. Or check that. The best efficiency of any team in the history of the NBA on offense. So for getting pace, just how effective they are per possession, no team ever. Michael Jordan, Wilt, Jerry West... Mm -hmm. Jerry Stackhouse, oh, okay, is regardless, they were not as good as Luka and the Mavs per possession. Seven teams in the playoffs are better efficiency than Dallas was this year in the regular season. So the greatest full season ever in the beginnings of this playoffs, and let's admit it's a handful of games, seven of the teams are more efficient than Dallas was, which was the best any team had ever been. Wow. And Dallas is one of them, and so is the Clippers. Both of them are better than the best team ever has been for this short time. And playoffs are supposed to be a time where teams play more defense, right? That's a shocking statistic. Well, that would be like back when they said before there was a forward pass. I mean, it might have been something at some (laughs) point. I believe there's a number of reasons why the bubble lends itself towards this. But I want to get your thoughts first. Why do you think the scoring is up so much in the bubble? I certainly see the teams offensively not slowing it down. The pace has been there. But really, just to be clear, efficiency wouldn't account for pace. You're right. right? You're right. You're so, right. And I'm not saying the pace isn't there, too, but we're talking about the efficiency. Yeah, and you know the shot-making has been just beyond impressive. I'm seeing guys take shots. You know, Lillard but is Steve, obvious. what you're saying is they're efficient because they are making shots. Yes, they're making shots. That, it, it's a circular logic. 
Here's my thinking. One is the lack of distraction. The fact of the matter is, if you're a millionaire and you're traveling around, whatever you're doing, at the clubs, whatever, even if you're not at the clubs, tickets, people worried, just nothing but basketball here. It's helping, it seems. Number two, there's never a time ever that a player gets to shoot in the same gym, in the same environment, game after game after game. Even if you're playing at home, it's only half of your games. Mm. The other time you're on the road. Here, it, it would, obviously the sight lines and stuff are not disadvantageous, but it's the being familiar with it as time passes, which under that theory, it would keep improving. And I don't know if this is true or not, but when Luca hit that long shot, you look, he looked down to see where he was. He didn't look up to see where he was. That was weird. It makes me think that he had a mark he was going to. And those great scores, they often are taking shots. Now, when you're in the lane and stuff, you know where the basket is relative to the elbow or whatever. Who knows? Was there a mark out there he was looking for? Watch that replay. That's a great point because I know in pregame shoot, shoot around, oftentimes you see a guy focus in on four or five spots on the court. That's his spot where he'll take multiple practice shots right before a game starts. So I think that same shooting environment is a big advantage for the shooters. Number three, think about if home field advantage, home court advantage, is it that it adds something or does the road take something away? So, for example, in the NFL, if you're an offense, it's a disadvantage being on the road because of the loudness. You might not be able to hear your calls, whatever. Well, I think generally the shooters, the players that struggle on offense, struggle on the road, not because they don't have the advantages at home. It's the crowd. It's getting jeered. It's the noise, whatever it is. That's all gone now. So, in a way, it's like both teams have no disadvantages to score, whereas if you're home, the other team has a disadvantage, and if you're on the road, you have the disadvantage. One team always has a scoring disadvantage. Here, none of the teams, neither, have a scoring disadvantage in the bubble. Also, a lot of these young players, and let's be honest, the young players have been doing best, an AAU background and that AAU background creates an environment where they're playing in gyms. It's low pressure. There's a stand, but there's not many people in them. It just feels very similar to what's happening in the bubble. And that low pressure, lack of self-consciousness, calm, it always benefiting the familiarity with the gym and the court. And lastly, and Bill Simmons mentioned this way back at the beginning, the lack of photographers on the baseline and the openness there seems to have more creativity on the baseline and also more guys beelining right to the rim for slam dunks. They're not afraid of going up and over and through and hurting themselves like Paul George did way back when in Vegas. In general, I think that's opening up the whole game because people beeline to the rim more. Have you noticed that watching the games? You know, I have noticed that. And initially, the first games in the bubble, we saw a lot of guys getting their bearings. They would step out of bounds because no one was there, so they didn't have their peripheral vision and such. They weren't sure exactly where they were on the court, and I'm not seeing that any, anymore where guys are stepping out of bounds by a couple inches on their corner threes. All right, so if you add it up, and, and just to quickly reiterate, lack of distractions, same shooting environment. This is all what's helping scoring efficiency the negative of the road being removed, the calm, low pressure of the environment. It's similar to AAU type that a lot of these young players are familiar with. And finally, the lack of photographers and obstructions 
past the rim are causing more beelines, beeline type straight to the rim type drives. You add it all up, literally, and we'll repeat it one more time, seven teams of the 16 are more efficient than the Mavs this year, which were the most efficient team in the history of the NBA on offense. When we come back, Fez has a best bet for the 630 game. Should be good. 630 Eastern. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I'm R.J. Bell. We are Straight Out of Vegas, joined by Steve Fezzik. Jonas Well deserved day off. Fez has his best bet coming up in a game that starts in just a few minutes. The best bets are flowing. 12 straight winners, we can still say it until Portland finally gets crushed down. This is the fastest-growing show, the fastest, on Fox Sports Radio. Our audience has doubled in the last year. Thank you so much for the support. This football season, we promise, will be the best yet, the best ever, really. Fez, you got a preview coming up. Which team? We're going to go ahead and do the green. What, one second here? Oh, green wow. Bay Packers, yes. So, <laughs> I know you got your... NBA coming up. We didn't want to short circuit. It does not compute. Does not compute. I mean, <laughs> Boom, reload. Relax, relax. <laughs> you can listen on the iHeartRadio app. Just search Straight Out of Vegas or RJ Bell right here in Vegas on the strip. Excessive heat warning. It's almost freaking September and it's 110 degrees. The neon is bubbling, bubbling. All right, Fez, let's not mess around. Let's get straight to it. In fact, we'll do it like this. Stop on Utah Denver under the total of 219 and a half. I got to tell you, RJ, this is a contrarian play, an epic contrarian play. We just saw these teams go for 256 points. We just saw two guys, Murray and Mitchell, score. 50 points, but I think there's been an overreaction in the total that's being dealt. Game four was 216. For this game, 219 and a half. And I think what has happened is that Vegas had to react to that high. Well, hold hold on a second. A lot of people out there are like slamming on the brakes saying, wait a minute. There was 256 points scored last game, not overtime, 256 between Denver and Utah. And you're telling me 219's the total, or 219.5, and that somehow it's like Vegas has gone crazy, crazy by raising the total three points when the last total went over by like 38. Well, a three-point adjustment's a, a huge adjustment for any one game. Mm. And, and let's face it, throughout the series, both these teams have shot lights out. I'm betting against you. Both teams have you, shot. You hear that? I hear it. And what's interesting is that in the A block, we talked about scoring efficiency and how well guys have been shooting and you've outlined some excellent reasons why both these teams have been shooting 43% from three. I have to feel after that epic shootout, we are going to see both teams game planning to stop the opponent. I'm on the under. Oh, so, so, so what you're saying is after they score 270 in the first game. Overtime. Yeah. Oh, yes. 270 in the first. Mackenzie, how much was scored in regulation that game, please? And 229 the game after, they didn't actually, at that point, they weren't game planning. They said it takes this game four at 256 for us to say, you know what, Fred? 
Maybe we should consider, I don't know, more defense. How did give me how the conversation went in the in the law in the coaches room? I went, Clearly, we can score. That's not the problem. We just got to go ahead and focus on defense. We oh, can hold that's these it. guys it's to 110. Fo- we're we going to win this game. And that's it. That's all it would have taken. If only they would have done that. Why didn't they think of that after the 270? Well, they did think of it. Game- you know, by the way, 240 points scored in regulation in game one. So why didn't they think to just say, you know, if we just play defense, we'll be good. Well, because game one, both these teams came in as defensive teams, and their, pro- really? their focus was probably on scoring. Hmm. But then after game one, wouldn't they respond and say, huh, maybe we should play some defense? But they gave up 229. Yes, because they shot lights out from three. Listen, Steve's a hell of a handicapper. There's just people, you know, I'm above him. That's all there is. And I'll explain to you what you got wrong here. What you got wrong is. You're, you, and this happens to you all the time, actually. You're just older and you are used to your rules. The rules are off. Meaning the bubble's different. There's something fundamentally different going on here. If you have we said this stat last time, I'll say it quickly. The idea that Dallas had the and let's define what efficiency is. Efficiency is how well or how many points are you scoring every possession? Mm-hmm. Not about pace, not about running up and down the court. How much are you scoring every possession? Dallas had the best efficiency, so most points per possession of any team in the history of the NBA this year. In the bubble, in the playoffs, when defense is supposed to be more important, when the coaches say, you know, maybe we should play some D, seven of the teams have a better efficiency than the best efficiency ever for a season that Dallas had. Does that seem like what? Does that seem like, oh, Mott's more the same? Does it seem different to you or not? It seems a lot different, yes. Okay, so the idea that the line would move by three points off of one game and a high-scoring result, I think you're absolutely correct. That's like, wow, that seems like too much in a typical environment. Couldn't you make the case this is them saying, you know something, we're starting to, we're we're confused about how to uh, assess these totals because these teams are scoring at a rate that we can't even comprehend I just don't know. I'm not I don't love the under or I don't love the over, but I don't see how you can love the under. It just feels like that there's just too many If you're right, then you've got 3 points of value, right? Cuz the theory is what what the line was before 216 was right. Now you get So if it falls 217, 218, 219, you win when you would have lost. There's 3 points to fall on. Boom, boom, boom. But what if you're wrong? What if you're the 240 pre-overtime in the first game? The 256 here was is right that there's just a fundamental change. Then, then this then this total should be probably 242 or who knows why, but much higher. It feels like you have asymmetric upside or that 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 your downside is gigantic if you're wrong, but your upside is tiny. That's problematic. Well, the efficiency is a concern, but I can tell you, even with a good shooting backdrop, both teams shooting over 43% from three-point but, 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 but range but in the series. But remember, now, once you get four games in, at some point you got to say that feels like the normal, right? Well, the number one in the NBA is, is below 40%. I think Exactly, that- and it's just like the number one in the history of the NBA was Dallas on efficiency, and now seven teams are better. It's just when you get older, it's hard to like, change your paradigm. And it's like, you're so locked into this paradigm. And I'm not even sure 
in general, if you can't ascertain why something has fundamentally changed, you should assume it hasn't. I agree with you. It just seems like that, hmm, imagine Johnny, your, your boy is what, nine years old? He is. If he said, Daddy, I'm watching these NBA games, it seems like there's so much more scoring. Is there anything different? What would you say? Well, actually, everything's different. They're playing in a bubble. They're playing all in the same place. All the things we talked about just a few minutes ago, they don't have any road teams. All these things are different. So there's never been games. Like if I said, find a group of NBA games other than these bubble games that were the most different, what would you say? Like in the last 20 years, since Michael Jordan, what you couldn't I mean, come up with it. There's hardly a game that's really fundamentally all. I mean, maybe they played a few neutral court games. I don't even remember. Maybe they played a game in Mexico City. But over the course of any amount of time, this is more unlike regular NBA games than anything we've ever seen. So, do we trust the stats from the other way that these games have been played, the old way or the normal way? Or do we trust these stats? And these stats say this line should be a lot higher, wouldn't you say? Oh, yes. So you're betting of the history of the unrelated, in many ways, history versus the smaller history of the bubble. You're trusting the longer history that, in my opinion, isn't as pertinent. I am. And now you're not nearly as convinced, are you? Well, I would, I would still bet. If you wanted to bet that— Well, we, we bet. I mean, when I, I press the green button, we bet. I, 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 how much am I losing? We, I mean, it, how much is the bet for? <laughs> we, on the show, we bet auto 100, just an automatic 100, because the suits get a little uncomfortable when we bet more than that. But we'll I t- see. I would be willing to also bet each individual team shoots below 40% for Well, three. I don't need to do that. Yes. I have a better bet than this. I, I, yes. I can hit 39% and still win by 15 points. And if they hit 38 39%, I'm in big trouble here. So yes. you're hoping that it goes back to the normal, which really is not normal because it's a whole different thing. Yes. It's like saying if someone, unfortunately, gets their leg amputated, you don't talk about they used to run a 4 6 you say, unfortunately, that things are different now. Things are different now. I'm R.J. Bell, straight out of Vegas. Let's go straight to, because I'm going to do a bet. I'm feeling good. I, I was so dominant in that bet. Hollywood Matt, producer, who would you bet there? I'm on your side. That's just generally how you do it? Generally. What about you, Mackenzie? I've actually already made a big bet on the under. <laughs> <laughs> what was your thinking there? If you look at the pace, this is one of the slowest series in recent memory. 94 possessions per game. They, they pretty much have to shoot lights out 45% from three for this to go over, in my opinion. So they shot, so what for the series, 43? 43%. Maybe 45 is high, but I think 38, 39, you're, we're looking okay. McKenzie's like a slightly less aware version of Fezzik. Which is not good. <laughs> not good. I mean, it, it's like, don't you guys realize that when you tell me how slow the pace has been, and then you look at these scores, 240 in the first game, pre-overtime, forget 270, 240, 229, 211 in the third, 256, so it's three out of four over, that the pace seems like it could only go up. Maybe the other team says, maybe Denver says, you know something, imagine they say, you can't slow it down any more than the slope. When you're the slowest, you're slow. What happens if Denver says, you know, we got a deeper team. We're just going to run them off the court. Then you've lost before the game even starts. They're not, they're not deeper, though, with their current injuries. Okay. Or they could say whatever. whatever. Yeah. Maybe Utah says, we'll run them <laughs> off the court. That's possible. Is Literally, what you're saying is, we're betting something because the pace is so slow. But lo and behold, that slow pace has led to three overs out of four. 
Maybe it will get slower. Because the thing that seems to repeat itself is almost 200 minutes of shooting. For, or over 200 minutes, I guess, with over, I guess one overtime. So, no. So, 48, 48, 48, 48. Right? So, we have almost 200 minutes of game time, and they're shooting at this percentage. And our bet is, I just don't think it lasts. You might be right, but that doesn't seem like something you want to – if the total and the results were right in line, meaning if they shoot a little bit worse than we win, I might like your bet. But how much worse do they have to shoot when they put up 256 in order to go under 219? Yeah, they got to make one-third of their threes instead of 43.5% of them. Yeah, that's what I don't get. And it's funny. The smart guys often – and Steve is smart – I mean, it really is true. I mean, he went to Northwestern. That's not all that smart. Uh, I find a lot of people from Northwestern are... are I, what's the opposite of smart? Dumb. Dumb. I can't <laughs> lie. But Steve's really smart. It just feels like this one, you outsmarted yourself. The, Barney at the bar saying, they scored a lot last time. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And you know what? The line being only 219 is proven. All the wise guys are saying, let's go under, let's go under. It's been readjusted too much. Feels like a whole different game to me. Closing thought. I think we'll, let's just watch this one play out. Oh, oh th- there you go. And if you, somehow you win this one, it's going to be <laughs> what? AutoZone has more ways for you to get what you need when you need it. With their free same-day pickup, you can place your order online and grab what you need today at more than 5,700 AutoZone locations. In-store or curbside, visit AutoZone.com today. And start your job fast. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Let's get into the preview right away, because I'm going to do a best bet on a game at the end of the show here in about 10 minutes. So, number what on our countdown from 32 down? Number 12, Green Bay Packers. All right, so first thing we do now is we just get to the force pick to start. Over under is what on the season? 16 games. How many games are we expected to win? Nine wins. All right, so the juice is what? A little bit to the under, minus 120 to the under. All right, so under is smidge is the juice, but you got to win 10 to win over, eight or less to win under. What do you got? Lean under. Green Bay overrated, RJ. Why is Green Bay overrated? Well, amazingly, despite winning 13 games. All right, so here's what we need to do. We need to skip past all the close games, the point differential, because that's built into the line. When a team wins 13 games, and we can tick them off real quick, but when a team wins 13 games and they don't lose any key players and their total comes in at nine, it assumes that they maybe should have won 10 games or 11 games a year before. Spot on. And they did go 8-1 and one in close games. So basically what Vegas is saying, hey, Green Bay won 13 games, but they really won, should have won nine or 10. Nine? I mean, when you win 13, you probably shouldn't have won nine. There's something going on that isn't necessarily evident in the stats if you win 13, right? Yes. I mean, Aaron. let's give Aaron Rodgers credit. I'm the biggest Aaron Rodgers skeptic there is, I think. Especially, I would say, in the national media, because they're all in love with him for some weird reason. I mean, the guy couldn't really win much when he was at his best, to be candid. If only Mendenhall didn't have that phone, but Steelers, they wouldn't have won that one Super Bowl. But still, give him the one. That's it. Didn't even make another one. There's something wrong with him when it comes to team, building, whatever, obviously. But he is a really good pressure quarterback 
it seems like in the regular season, a minimum. And he doesn't turn the ball over. So, so Green Bay was plus 12 in turnovers. Yeah. And you can make the case, hey, I would expect that they're going to be plus more, more often than not, right, because of Aaron Rodgers. I think that's true, though. You could make the case his stats are worse because he won't throw in positions. That might be an occasional interception. But net-net would be better for them by taking chances. And LaFleur's known. He said, throw downfield, throw downfield. He didn't want to. Some of the best quarterbacks of all time have thrown a lot of interceptions. Because you gain more by taking the risks than not. But let's accept 10 wins maybe was reasonable. They won 13. That's the downgrades a game from the 10 to the 9. That feels reasonable. The question is, what has changed with Green Bay year over year? All right. Aaron Rodgers is overrated. He has been declining. He's only 36. But I went back. I looked at next-gen stats. This is very interesting. How accurate is Aaron Rodgers? Did you have your bifocals on when you were looking at the the, the internet site? <laughs> yes. Okay, go ahead. So the last, I, I was shocked by this. The last three years, Aaron Rodgers has been below average in terms of expected completions, where they go ahead and analyze how open is the receiver. All right, he's making this throw. The average quarterback completes at 60%. Aaron Rodgers would be less. He's been below average. He's ranked 28th, 27th, and 18th the last three years. So what stat is that exactly? It's, the stat is that based upon how open the receiver is, the likelihood that the completion happens, and he's underperformed in that way. Yes, completion percentage versus expectation. All right, so you're saying that they grade every quarterback the same way as in how open is this receiver? The ball either gets thrown on target or doesn't. And Rodgers ranked what in that stat the last three years? 28th, 27th, and 18th. Or as Chevy Chase would say, not good. Not good. And th these rankings are in line with what is QBR, the stat we normally go with, has been the last two years, 16th and 20th. Let's take a last break. Fez is going to wrap up. Now, I'm assuming you got a prop bet for us, right? I do not have a prop well, bet. Well, luckily, I've got a best bet coming up that was unexpected. It's going to be on the OKC Thunder in Houston. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Back in a few. Straight Out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. Steve Fezzik joins, and we got a bonus best bet coming up for me. So first, though, Steve, let's finish up your Green Bay analysis. So your thinking is, I think everyone agrees that's knowledgeable about the NFL. Green Bay was not a 13-win team when it comes to their quality. They were on the field, and give them credit, but they weren't that good. We saw them against the 49ers. Now, hey, good teams lose games all the time, but they were dominated in that game. This year, their win total was nine. Now, usually if a team wins 13 games, the win total ends up being what? 11. 11. Yeah. This is really the market saying Green Bay was not the quality of a 13-win team. But my question is, at nine, you could think they were way overrated last year and still like over here. You lean under, leaning implying you don't like it strong either way. Why towards the under? I think Aaron Rodgers could well respond negatively to this whole trading up in the draft for his replacement. And I understand some people are saying, hey, he's going to come out with a chip on his shoulder. But I think that more than likely it's going to create friction between him and LaFleur, the coach. And because of that, that, that could – Absolutely be a big problem for Green Bay, and I'm going to go ahead and lean under nine wins. But I'm not certain that he, that he, 
Rodgers isn't going to come out with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, to me, this whole idea that they are trying to get rid of... I mean, let's be candid. By all reporting inside of Green Bay, the assumption is that Green Bay, other than Rodgers, the front office, the powers that be, are sick of Rodgers. It's just they're walking on eggshells. He's mad about this. He's mad about that. The idea that them finally making a move to get to say, hey, enough already. The tyrant is going to be gone. I'm not sure we should think that's a part. I mean, if anything, maybe Rodgers would be conciliatory and say, you know, I kind of been messing this up. The idea that he's the aggrieved party, I find ludicrous. Chip on his shoulder. Maybe the guy should have just acted right so he's not making everyone mad at him in the building. I mean, that's just my opinion. Lean under. You don't really have anything under nine. You don't really have anything else, right? No. You know, this is the first one you didn't have a, a prop or, hmm, not strong. AutoZone has more ways for you to get what you need when you need it. With their free same-day pickup, you can place your order online and grab what you need today at more than 5,700 AutoZone locations, in-store or curbside. Visit AutoZone.com today. Start your job fast. Get in the zone, AutoZone. I'm going with a best bet tomorrow, but bet it early if you like it, on the OKC Thunder. Now, OKC opened up as a one-point favorite game one of this series. Why? Well, Westbrook was out. You know what? Westbrook is out this game. Now, what's happened in the interim? Four games. Oh, Rockets, their favorite now. They must have won. No, no. Rockets have won two. OKC has won two. And the point could be made, and I think legitimately made, that OKC's figured some stuff out. When they've gone small, and they did that late in game four, they've done very well. In a, in a weird way, they seem to be better as a small ball than Houston. That was not the assumption coming into the series. So now, whatever made OKC the favorite in game one without Westbrook, you've got that same scenario, no Westbrook, OKC should be favored. In the interim, you found out that they were literally 2-2 two to two when it comes to four-game outcomes. And now it seems like OKC has a better way to play than they did in Game 1. But we're getting three. OKC plus three is a really strong bet. Remember, guys, nothing is a short thing. But I like this one a lot. I think it's going to move against us, so let's get it now. OKC plus three tomorrow. Best bet. We gave you the odds, and we're back tomorrow. Talk to you then. Right out of Vegas! Vegas!